0: Freddo? Yes, Marcus? I don't want to hear this. What don't you want to hear? I don't want to hear someone come up to me on Monday and say, I had no idea about the wellness base camp. Oh, I hate when that happens. It's all been all over Facebook, Instagram, emails, podcasts. If you are listening right now and you've been under a rock or you've been flat out busy and you just haven't got to booking your tickets, don't get to Monday and send us an email saying you forgot. I was going to book a ticket. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to school holidays and then the kids went back to school and then I went back to work and blah, blah, blah. Don't let it happen. The wellnessbasecamp.com, 50 bucks off your ticket, a few seats left. Don't muck around. You've got Cindy O'Meara, Karen Smith, Kim Morrison, Joe Witten, Audra Starkey, Jules Galloway, Brett Hill. Oh, I wouldn't miss it for the world, Marcus. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so informative. There's amazing exhibitors there. The venue, I'm told reliably by Marcus Pierce, is incredible. There's just no reason not to be there. It's the most beautiful venue we've ever had. The Wellness Base Camp, proudly brought to you by Zars and Alkaline Water. And as you said, we've got some wonderful exhibitors. So don't muck around. Don't be that person or people that says, I forgot. Head to thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscoach.com. Streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host Audra Starkey.
1: Welcome to the Healthy Worker Podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. Today's podcast is going to be all about sleep deprivation and weight fluctuations, which I think many of our listeners are going to be able to relate to at some point in their working careers. And to talk more about this topic, I have a very special guest on the call today, Dr. Carmel Harrington, who is joining us from Sydney in Australia and who has been working in the field of sleep and sleep research for close to 20 years. Dr. Harrington is an internationally recognised sleep expert and holds a PhD in sleep medicine from Sydney University and regularly consults with companies and educational institutions both here and overseas. She's the managing director of Sleep for Health, a sleep clinic located in Sydney, and is an honorary research fellow at the Children's Hospital at Westmead. She's a founding member of the Sleep Health Foundation and a member of the Australasian Sleep Association. And if all that doesn't keep her busy enough, she's also written two books uh, called *The Sleep Diet* and *The Complete Guide to a Good Night's Sleep*. So, to tell us more about sleep deprivation and weight fluctuations, I'd like to give a warm, healthy shift worker welcome to Carmel. Oh,
2: hello, Audra. It's lovely to be here
1: today. Welcome, welcome. And look, I have to say, I'm so happy to have you on the Healthy Shift Worker podcast, uh, Carmel, because I have read your book, the first one, The Sleep Diet, and I did read it in a matter of days because I couldn't put it down. Uh, I just really love your work and and I also resonated with a statement that you made on your website which was uh, that you were amazed at the seemingly little importance given to sleep. And having spent two decades working shift work myself, I can certainly resonate with that statement because I feel as though there is a lot of focus in the media at the moment on the global obesity epidemic, which is certainly justified, but we also have a global sleep epidemic on our hands and no one seems to be talking about the connection between the two, except for yourself but I'll let you talk more about that shortly so to begin the interview Carmel I'd love to hear your story like who is dr Carmel harrington and, and how did you stumble and get involved into sleep medicine
2: well I guess um medicine's always been a love of my life anyway um, because I uh, was involved in that early on and and I was a lawyer but I used to do uh, medical uh, Negligence. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so I was a biochemist when I first started at the university and then became a lawyer. And so I was very interested in that area. And then bit by bit, sleep really grabbed me. And I decided to start researching and thinking that I'd only do it a little bit just to know more. But as you say, 20 years on, <laughs> more than 20 years on, I have found that um, it really is a passion of mine. And I just love it. And I just find it such an I mean it's not so unexplored now but there's such big areas that most of us you know don't realize about sleep and part of raising people's awareness has become again another passion of mine because you know, we just don't give it enough respect and it's so important because if you think about how bad we feel after one night of not getting enough sleep, we do anything for a good night's sleep, uh, even only after one night. But people go on month after month not getting good sleep and um, their life becomes fairly dreary, unfortunately.
1: Mm, yeah, I think... Um- yeah, that's interesting. I, I remember talking to somebody that worked nine to five, for example, and and said to them, do you remember a time when you had a really bad night's sleep? And they you know, said yes. And I said, well, as shift workers, that's kind of how we feel most of the time um, when we kind of run on that little sleep. But um, yeah, it's certainly a fascinating area. And um, yeah, great that you've decided to go full steam ahead and and pursue it as a as a full-time thing but um I guess before we talk about sleep and weight and the connection between the two would you be able to explain to our listeners what exactly is sleep and and why it's so important to our overall health and well-being well um people often think of sleep it's a funny thing isn't it people often
2: think of sleep as a, a nothing state it's what we do when we're just exhausted mm. and we just go to sleep and feel better the next day, or not if we don't have enough of it. But actually, over, I guess, over the last 60 years, our understanding of what sleep is has really changed. And indeed, um, up until about mid 50, 1950s, um, we thought the brain went to sleep. But after about, at the at that point, we, we discovered that indeed the brain didn't go to sleep when we uh, went, went to sleep. It became very active. Um, there's a particular stage of sleep called rapid eye movement sleep. It's a stage of sleep in which we uh, dream. And our brain is as active then as it is when we're awake. So our, our understanding has moved on from there. And we now recognize that we, we are meant to sleep about eight hours in every twenty four. Mm-hmm. and indeed there's two neurobehavioral states in sleep it's not a unitary state we've got two different neurobehavioral states one is as i said rapid eye movement sleep and the other one is non rapid eye movement sleep now the other our third neurobehavioral state is of course wakefulness now we know that we do things in wakefulness that are essential for our health and well-being like we eat we get rid of waste products we exercise Um, We do all those things and we drink water. We do all those things that we know are essential for our survival and we have to start to recognise, and indeed it's a case, that our other two neurobehavioural states, we also do things and perform functions that we cannot do in any of our 24-hour period that are essential to our health and well-being. And we know this because we study um, states of acute sleep deprivation and chronic sleep deprivation. And we begin to understand that each of our neurobehavioral states is essential to how well we perform physically and mentally. And so we need to begin to respect sleep, prioritise it and recognise, okay, when I'm subconscious that when I'm asleep, I may not know I'm doing physical and mental stuff, but I'm really busy doing it all and it will enable me to be really uh, on top of my game the next day and also be as optimally healthy as we can be.
1: Mm, so it's, it's we just can't not have it. We can't, although in society today it's quite prevalent where we feel that we can skip it. And, you know, instead of the eight hours, run on the four.
2: Absolutely. And, in fact, to a large extent it's become a badge of honour, unfortunately, because yes. people people sort of say things like, like you know, oh, I didn't sleep last night. I'm just so busy. Mm. I would collapse if they weren't so busy or if they wear it as a badge of honour. And, um, look, I, I talk about this all the time. I would much prefer... To know that my lawyer, accountant, bus driver, taxi driver had a good night's sleep the night before, that they were doing something for me or transporting me somewhere, then hear them say, "I am so busy. I just don't get enough sleep." I think, well, I don't want you to be working for me or doing anything (laughs) because I know your attention is going to be poor, your cognitive ability is going to be decreased all those sorts of aspects that you want if you hire someone to do anything for you you want to be on top of their game
1: yeah I think you've made an extremely good point It it is become a bit of a badge of honor like people are proud to say oh yeah I only you know had you know four or five hours sleep last night but you know here I am you know yes you, you might be there standing right in front of me but you're there physically but you're certainly not as you just said, yeah, your cognitive function is not there. Your your ability to be able to think and process things and react to things is not going to be as good as anybody that's, you know, the person that's had a really good night's sleep.
2: Absolutely not. And indeed, you know, like – Sometimes it's okay, but you know I like to make these things very personal. What if it's a person that drives your child's school bus that mm. is chronically sleep deprived? We know that they're seven times more likely to have an accident. What if it's a person driving the crane um, you yeah. know the crane for a building site, or well, what if it's the doctor, the cardiologist mm. that holds your his, your heart in his hand mm. so they're the times where sleep can become very personal.
1: Mm, and can have disastrous effects. I mean, there's Absolutely. famous, um, what is it, Chernobyl and Axon Valdez yes. disasters mm, were based yeah. on, yeah, lack of sleep. Yeah, it's fascinating.
2: Um, That's right. And, in fact, the um, the uh, another major industrial uh, occupational problem uh, Disaster was the um, Air France that um, got into all sorts of trouble. A lot because of technical error. But what happens when we're sleep deprived? And indeed, all of them were sleep deprived and 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 documented as not having much sleep the night before. Mm -hmm. Is we are very able to do automatic things. So the brain goes into automatic drive, and we're able to, you know, do A plus B plus C. We're able to do those automatic things, and Most of your listeners um, would have experienced this when they've driven home, sometimes when they're tired and they've gotten home and really can't remember the trip. So that's when we're an automatic pilot, so to speak. Mm. What the brain can't do when it's sleep-deprived is do A plus B plus C plus F because F is different and F hasn't come in the sequence it's meant to. So they can't react, they can't process that new information the brain is tired, it doesn't want to work very hard, and so it's a new piece of information that actually isn't accommodated and that's when errors occur
1: Wow okay that yeah that explains mm. a lot and and that's precisely what happens in aviation accidents things do happen well in any anywhere where there's a yeah whenever there's a disaster
2: anywhere really it's often because there's something unusual has happened, mm. and these great thinkers and highly able people in any other circumstances actually aren't very able because they can't access what we know to be the prefrontal cortex because it's sleep deprived Mm,
1: that's fascinating um I guess um, as shift workers, I'm obviously going to give it that from my perspective, is we often get caught up in this vicious cycle of constant fatigue and tiredness as a result of ongoing sleep deprivation, which leads to little motivation to cook, which then leads to eating all the wrong types of foods and often too much of them, and I guess most notably along the lines of a standard American or, in our case, a standard Australian diet, which encompasses a lot of highly refined and processed foods. In essence, this lack of sleep that we experience as shift works affects our nutritional intake, our digestion, and absorption of foods, which is associated with weight gain. Now, I know in your book, The Sleep Diet, you talk all about this, but and it encompasses like chapters, but can you just give us a bit of an introduction or an in- insight into this connection that is between eating, sleeping, and weight?
2: Yes. Well, I think you've summarized it really quite nicely. And as you say, you read the Sleep Diet quite quickly book. And in that book, I go at great lengths. But it is such a fascinating, it really is a fascinating area. Mm. And I got particularly interested in this um, because I was doing a number of um, lectures. I, I particularly researched sleep apnea. And I was giving a number of lectures on um, sleep apnea and metabolic health. And at the end of all these lectures, people would be lined up asking me questions. And I thought, wow, it's really amazing. I mean, most of these people were um, involved in medicine in one way or another. And even they didn't understand the connection. This is a few years ago now. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand the connection between sleep and just sleep, forget about sleep apnea for the moment. But I didn't even understand the connection between sleep and metabolic health. And I thought, wow, this is really, you know, amazing. And and how do you get the information out there to the, the public domain? And I that's when I sat down and wrote the book. So the combination, the association between sleep and weight gain, if we start off un- knowing that we've actually dropped our average sleep time by about 20%. Now, in the night. 90- so a big study, population study, looked at how much sleep people were getting and the average sleep time was about 8.5 hours. Now, research tells us in 2010 the average sleep time of for working adults um, of a weekday was 6.5. So that's about a 20% drop in average sleep time. Mm. Now, over that same period of time, so 50 years ago, our grandparents were sleeping much more than we do on average today. Now, over that same period of time, we've tripled the obesity rate so that today 65% or actually 64% of Australians are either overweight or obese Mm. and one in five child is overweight or Mm. obese. Now, it's awful. It's not just... lack of sleep. It's the the rise of the motor car. It's the rise of the fast food. But until we start factoring in the triumvirate of health, which is nutrition, exercise and sleep, we are really going to struggle to get on top of the um, obesity epidemic. Because I've got to say, or if you think about it, we've never had a time in history that we've had access to so much good food access to so much good exercise we've got gyms everywhere and yet we've got two-thirds of our population overweight or obese yeah. so it doesn't add up does it and, mm-hmm. and it's not because we're not factoring in sleep mm-hmm. and if we look at and uh, look, it's not me doing the research there's some fabulous people out there doing wonderful research and what they've shown and I'll just go through this bit by bit is that when we don't get the sleep that we need we get the body goes into a sort of conservation mode and because it wants to protect us from a problem further down the track. So when we don't get enough sleep, one of the reasons we sleep is for energy conservation as well. So if we don't get enough sleep, the body needs to make sure that we can bed down enough fat so that we can conserve energy because that's our highest form of energy in the body. So what it does is increase the hormones that make us feel hungry and decrease the hormones that make us uh, feel full. So the end result is that we have an increase of our global hunger. So often people, when they haven't slept enough, say, oh, I feel really hungry. You know what, they actually are, because they've produced an unusual um, balance of hormones. So much so that when we are sleep deprived two hours or more on a regular basis, we will want to eat between 350 to 500 calories extra per day. Now, that doesn't take long to put extra weight on your hips, mm-hmm. um, that amount of food. At the same time, our body drops its metabolic rate by about 10%, again, in in order to protect us, you know, conserve our energy, so it drops our metabolic rate. So not only do we eat more, but we burn burn what we eat more slowly, mm-hmm. so very quickly put on weight. And then we look at the, the exercise aspect when we're sleep-deprived, we actually don't like to exercise very much. Yeah. Often we'll say, "I'm really tired, I'm tired right now. I have a good night's sleep and exercise tomorrow." And so not only does our actual active exercise um, start to decrease, but so does our like, we have passive exercise. Like when we sit in a chair, we can move around and move our arms and you know fidget and things like that. And we're more likely to do that sort of incidental exercise when we're well-slept. So think about the last time you were really tired. When you sit in the chair, you sort of take up the chair. You sit, you know, you don't bounce around, you don't, so you just sit because you're so tired. So your incidental exercise decreases as well when we're sleep-deprived. And so we take away a lot of um, access to incidental burning of um, upregulation of our metabolic rate. So by and large, we eat more. We eat more fatty foods because that's what our reward way, um, reward pathways in the brain want, and we exercise less. And on top of that, as you indicated earlier, is our motivation decreases when we're sleep-deprived. So we actually might wake up one morning or the night before thinking, think, I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow. I'm going to be really good. And you're actually probably a very high performer in all other areas of your life. And all of a sudden you're thinking, I've really got to get on top of this weight thing. So you think, okay, I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow. You wake up the next day, haven't had much sleep. You have breakfast, a diet breakfast, and that's really good. And it gets to 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning and someone's got a chocolate biscuit of morning tea and you think, oh, I'll just have that. I'll start the diet tomorrow. <laughs> now you do that because we know time and time again your motivation is really depleted when you're sleep deprived. You just want things to be overdone quickly. You just want to um, get to the, the end point. And also you're more likely to take risks. So you risk that behaviour. I'll just take this chocolate biscuit now, but I'll be good for the rest of the day. Well, you won't be because you've gone <laughs> off your diet. Yeah. So all those things contribute very much into um, increased weight. And the one thing we can do, and it's so easy, is to have our eight hours of sleep. And that will, <laughs> will take away all those risk factors. Sure, we've got other things we have to cope with, but actually takes away all those things, which is really important
1: yeah yeah brilliant but i guess for us shift workers we don't always have that opportunity to get that full eight hours sleep which is a lot of our problem for example uh, i remember doing quite a few three thirty a.m starts so i would have to be up at two so going backwards you know would mean that i'd have to be in bed at 6 p.m but that was just not going to happen and i guess for shift workers that's that. As you said, it's incredibly important to get it, but it is a problem that we have, an ongoing of being able to get that eight-hour sleep. It's very hard as a shift worker to get that sleep that you need
2: and that's so true. Mm, And it's, yeah. Shift work is a public health issue. It really needs to be addressed and we need to put strategies in place to allow our shift workers um, to get the best possible sleep because that will put them in the healthiest position. And at the moment, I don't think we do that very well. And um, I don't think there's enough education for shift workers, um, A, about the importance of sleep because for a certain certain amount of time they will cope with it and then all of a sudden um, their life will fall apart as a consequence probably of shift work. Um, so we need to inform shift workers, educate them on the importance of health Help, um, of sleep, help them prioritize sleep and give them strategies so they can optimize their sleeping times. I think they're really important issues, and um, we know that shift workers are much more likely to be obese, much more likely to um, develop um, some hormonal cancers, much more likely to have metabolic ill health, and much more likely to suffer depression. So these are the consequences of shift work, of sleeping, of of working in the night hours.
1: Mm, Yeah, and I agree with everything that you said there. This is a big, big thing that I uh, is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I just want to create that awareness that as shift workers, we need to be doing things better. As do the shift working organisations. It's a bit of a uh, yeah. Both sides of the fence need to we we need to work on improving areas here. (laughs)
2: Yes, that's right. I think um, it's really important to recognise that employee and the employer have to work together yep. to develop strategies that actually will op- um, to optimise um, the workers' um, access or ability to get the sleep they need. And, you know, it's a win-win situation because we know workers are going to be more efficient and more productive when they're slept, uh, much less likely to um, have health, uh, time off work due to your health much more uh, able to get the work done and get done well. And from the employee's point of view, they actually have to start respecting sleep and to understand that without it they really will suffer and very much even in the short term because there's some really nice studies that have been looking at the connection between sleep and the onset of depression and for years we've recognised that um Poor sleep is a, a sign of depression, but it, we now know it's a bi directional relationship, and by that I mean that if you sleep poorly you're much more likely to develop depression. And this study looked at um, a group of people and there were some that slept really well and some that slept very poorly and they followed them for 12 months. And what they found is that if you slept poorly at baseline, you were five times more likely to develop depression over that 12-month period compared to those who slept well at baseline. So our mental health will suffer quite quickly when we don't get enough sleep
1: mm and that's just really frightening isn't it it's quite sad because that again you know we've got a, a mental health problem happening you know as an epidemic as well so yeah it's all it's all very yes look it's so
2: true and we see it in our children and um, we've got an increase in depression in children and we know nine out of ten teen- teenagers are not getting the sleep they need mm,
1: yep yeah exactly yeah exactly um in the last uh, two years, uh, I've actually been doing a lot of research um, on shift work health. Specifically, I'm just about to finish a nutritional medicine degree, um, so all, a lot of my assignments and that I've been doing on shift work health and been researching some of the effects of sleep deprivation. And I have to say, and you did mention this earlier on in the call, Carmel, um, but the more I read, the more my heart sank. <laughs> Because as shift workers, yeah. we are just so prone to so many things and you've already touched on the mental health side of things And but one of them includes insulin resistance and, and type 2 diabetes. Could you share with our listeners like how working 24-7 can actually lead to these types of conditions?
2: Well, there's a, a number of uh, physiological pathways that actually will cause um, lack of sleep is associated with the development of, insulin resistance and type 2 and diabetes. But one of the things is that um, not getting enough sleep is stressful to the body. Yes. As I said, yeah, the body wants to sleep eight mm. hours or be, actually between, to be perfectly correct, you need to say between seven to nine hours because everyone's different. But seven to nine hours is within that range of what we need and uh, you need to know what you need. But, um, sorry about that, um, <laughs> but, but um but you need seven to nine hours and the body needs that to perform the functions that enable it to go on the next day during the wakeful period of, its, of the 24-hour period. If it doesn't, it's stressful and the body starts to produce cortisol. Now, a high level of cortisol um, is not good for our metabolic health because cortisol produces glucose. Now, the reason cortisol produces glucose is when your body is stressed and you're awake, you probably need glucose because in stressful situations, we need a bit more energy. We need to do something. And so Mm. if you are stressed, the body protects you again and gives you more of the hormone that's going to produce the glucose, so you're ready to act out whatever you need to do. But when you're just not getting enough sleep and you're producing a lot of glucose, um, cortisol and therefore glucose, the body has to do something with this glucose. So in the end, the body's glucose metabolism starts to break down. And once glucose metabolism starts to break down, you're starting to get insulin resistance and then further on you'll start to get um, type 2 diabetes. It's not only that pathway. There's other pathways that are involved, but that's
1: one of the major ones. Mm, And I guess it probably doesn't help when a lot of our diet is very uh, high in processed and refined carbohydrates. Oh, look, absolutely, because Mm -hmm. the other thing is too that when we're sleep-deprived, as I
2: said, we get this – um, different um, hormone, appetite hormone profile
3: mm.
2: and our reward um, centers in the brain are on fire. So what we actually reach for when we're hungry uh, following sleep deprivation is not the salads, the carrots and the, the whole foods. Yeah, that's right. You're laughing because you know straight away what we <laughs> yeah. reach for. We look for yep. the chips and the hamburgers yeah. and the chocolate mm-hmm. and, of course, that's highly refined and not nutritious at all. Uh, So and that, again, really uh, puts the glucose pathways under under stress.
1: Mm, Certainly a hard cycle to break away from, (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs)
2: Well, it is and it isn't. Mm -hmm. First off, you have to know that it exists. Mm -hmm. First off, you have to understand the connection between sleep and our health, our metabolic health and our mental health. Once you understand that, you become interested enough to try to work out what you need to do to get your better health and this was the interesting my journey was that I wrote the first book because I was quite passionate about getting the message out there you know you really got to sleep well to be well that was my message Mm. in all sorts of ways and then my publisher gorgeous woman ingrid said to me well come i think people understand that but they actually don't know how to sleep they've lost how (laughs) lost understanding (laughs) how to sleep which is why the second book the complete guide to a good night's sleep i wrote that because she was right there's so many people out there um for something that's so natural, we've actually be- it's become unnaturally hard. And one of the major reasons for that is we keep ourselves awake with our computers and our iPhones and, you know, being on the alert 24-7. And as soon as we're on the alert all the time, we're not going to be sleeping.
1: Totally. Yeah, totally. So I guess that leads into my next question from a, a nutritional perspective, Carmel. What foods would you recommend um, to support a good night's sleep? Well, cal- look, um, calcium and magnesium are really good mm-hmm. uh, sources. They really
2: are very important about, uh, for our good sleep. Not only are they um, integral to making up our melatonin, so they're essential uh, minerals to at, allow the brain to produce melatonin, which is our sleep hormone, mm-hmm. but it's also involved in um, being able to wash out the brain of its toxins overnight, which is a really interesting new bit of research. Mm-hmm. So we need whole foods you know, to your point, you know, not, not that, yeah. so we really need whole foods. And if you're not getting enough of those whole foods, you need to go for sup- supplements, which, you know, as a nutritionist yourself and as a person myself interested in whole health, I'd rather people get it through their foods. Yeah. So um, leafy greens are really important. Uh, nuts. Whole grains, uh, brown bread, things like that, and vegetables, and a, a nice amount of protein, but not a whole lot of red meat at night. It's not good for the ability to sleep well.
1: Is that because it struggles to digest? Is that where you go?
2: Well, that? there's an, a number of reasons. Yeah, it's got um, glutamate in it as well. Uh, yeah, so. Um, and it's actually hard to digest as well. So, the best things you can eat at night are light protein, fish or poultry. Mm. Um, and I mean, we shouldn't be having too much red meat anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, instead of a big chunk of steak. Yeah, that's happens. right. Yeah, it does happen on the you know the Aussie barbecue often. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess um. Just We're getting near to the interview but I, one question I did want to ask because it, it's actually something that people often ask me a lot is that because as shift workers we, we kind of have that problem where we're not all, always able to eat at the right time. In other words, we're not able to eat breakfast at designated breakfast time and lunch at the designated lunch time. Are you able to provide our listeners with um, just some tips or a couple of ideas on how or what would be a good um, thing to eat on something like night shift?
2: Look, it's all, um, it's all dependent on what's what time your shift starts and finishes, how you eat. This is what I'm talking about, the education that is required mm. for our shift workers. What yep. shift are you on? And you have to change a little bit according to that. The first thing I want to say is that it is very difficult for shift workers to get a consolidated eight-hour period of sleep. Right, that's going to be hard. But... If you recognise that your sleep cycles are, you need, as adults, we need about five complete sleep cycles in any 24-hour period. Each sleep cycle is between 90 to 110 minutes. So if you want to have biphasic sleep as a shift worker, which would mean that you get two four-hour periods, yep. or you might want to have one two-hour period and one six-hour period. Mm-hmm. So it's... If- so it's important to get a full sleep cycle or a part thereof or, or you know, thereof. So to, um, if you want two sleep yeah. cycles, you need to sleep um, up to four hours or slightly less than four hours. And if you think about other cultures that do that, think of the siesta culture. They have a two-hour sleep in the afternoon or an hour and a half and then they go to bed quite late. And they probably only get four complete cycles that night in the consolidated period, but they actually have biphasic sleep. Mm. So shift workers can do that too. Mm. That's yep. great, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's really important. And then you need to understand that tiredness or a fatigue is a combination of not only previous time, of time sleep, but it's a combination of time sleep plus time awake plus time of day. And things that can affect that is what exposure to sunlight we have and what we eat. Mm-hmm. So your nutrition mm-hmm. is really important as well. Mm-hmm. So if you are having a night duty, which is like 10 p.m. at night, is it 10 p.m. to 6
1: six a.m.? I'm, yeah, I think a lot of and I do know even some people have like 7 till 7, that's sort of a shift as well. Sorry, what was that? that I a se- like a 7 pm till 7 a.m. shift. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, the 12, 12 hours. Exactly. Yeah. So, what you need to do right. is to think about your
2: major meal of the day, would be before you start your shift. Mm-hmm. All right. The yep. worst thing we can do is have a large meal at 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning and expect to go to sleep for the next six hours. So have your major meal the night, the evening before your shift. At halfway through the shift, have another meal. But think about um, the first meal like an emperor, the second meal like a prince, and the third meal like a pauper. So at your six a.m. just before that, have a light snack. Have a little bit of fish and some potato or something or salad, something like that, that will see you through a good sleep. But you've actually put your carb load or your caloric load at the beginning of the shift.
1: When you're most awake. When you're most awake. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. Fabulous. Yeah, it's it's certainly a... um, uh, something that we have to kind of navigate through and, and tweak it to our own because we, we also, one other thing I noticed too, unfortunately, with all the research is that we are prone to uh, digestive problems, particularly peptic ulcer disease and all that sort of thing.
2: Absolutely. And the reason yeah. for that is our circadian rhythms. now So that's why I say to you, don't put a big load on your stomach at 6 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning mm. because – what happens in the circadian lull, so you have a lull at that time of the morning,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's, a, it's a circadian um, rhythm of alertness and everything else, but your digestive system is meant to be resting and it does it whether you're asleep or not because of this circadian rhythm. Mm. So that's why you want to put the load on your digestive system at the beginning of the shift and not halfway through the shift because your digestive system is at a low yeah so that's really important, and that again this comes back to the educating the yep. shift worker about yep. what is going on with their body exactly once they yeah. understand what's going on with their body,
1: everything falls into place mm. mm exactly, and that's the key what you were just saying is that uh you know the body doesn't know the difference whether you're awake or asleep, it's still chugging along doing what it normally would do as a a normal diurnal di- di- type person. <laughs> Um, that's right. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, but everything is askew-if, you know, insulin production goes down. You know, we're not, um, uh, you know, the enzyme secretions, just things aren't happening like they should normally during the daytime. It just slows right down. But People kind of forget that. Um, so I think that's a really valid point that you made, yeah. Well, yeah.
2: it's interesting. If you think about what most, even nine to 5 nine to five workers who are, you know, really advantaged because they get the opportunity to sleep in the night hours. And this is the thing. It's sleeping in the night hours, which is what nature intended. Okay, so the problems occur because you work in the night hours. That's that's where all the health issues have been found, that those workers who work, those people who work in the night hours are more likely to develop hormonal cancers or more likely to be obese. So that's the important thing, because we're working in a stage that, in evolutionary terms or physiological terms, we're meant to be asleep, and we're producing melatonin. But if you think about the nine to five worker, when they are jet lagged, so in Australia, we get this, you know, often, you know, when you go to Europe, because we've got so far to travel, Yeah. We travel out of our time zone and we feel wretched for the first few days (laughs) (laughs) because our body wants us to be awake, our digestive system is telling us we're hungry at 4 o'clock in the morning, we don't be able to go to the toilet as well, we've got all all skewed. Mm. Now this is what the shift worker faces all the time when they have week-on-week-off shifts, Yeah, Hmm. Yeah. permanent
1: jet lag. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, goodness. I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) I could absolutely talk to you for hours, yeah.
2: Yes, well, you know, Audrey, good on you. I think it's really good that you're um, trying to bring attention to this area because it is really, really needs some attention because about 20% of our workers are shift workers and that's not going to go down anytime
1: soon. No, exactly. Yeah, it's it's going up. If anything, you know, a lot right. organisations are expecting their staff to work that way. Yeah. Well, look, this has been wonderful, Carmel. So, how can people find you if they're wanting to learn more about your research, your clinic, uh, you know, seminars that you attend, along with your books?
2: Well, um, my website is um, sleepforhealth dot com dot and they can find out
1: more there, and also access my books as well wonderful okay well i'll i'll make sure that i put a link in the show notes um with that information so thank you so much for joining me today carmel it really has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show i honestly feel as i mentioned before i could talk to you for hours i could probably um, you know, just have one podcast episode on each chapter of your book. Quite to a <laughs> <great outdoor laughs> podcast, but I know you know I do value your time. Um, but the information that you have in that particular book, the sleep diet, and uh, interesting, I haven't read your other one, so it's definitely made me um, want to go out and um, and read the other one. So it's yeah, it's just fantastic, fantastic that you're that you're focusing on this. You know, you have made the connection between and, and the obesity epidemic that we have and the sleep and yeah, it's just wonderful. So thank you so much.
2: Uh, it's been my pleasure, Audra.
1: Thank you so much. And as, as I say, thank you for shining a light on this
2: area. It's really important.
1: Oh, Thank you. That's great. Well, that's it for another edition of the Healthy Worker podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And there are many ways you can do this via my Facebook page, The Healthy Shipworker, through my website, healthyshipworker.com, or you can visit The Wellness Couch at thewellnesscouch.com and leave a comment there. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit. And you can also leave us a five-star rating in the iTunes store, which will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organizations all around the world. If you'd like access to more free resources, including my newsletter, just visit my website, healthyshiftworker.com, and you can enter your name and email address there. So thank you so very much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 20